I think we got a little taste of heaven in our worship today. Wouldn't you agree? This is awesome. Praise God for that. Just add to John, you're worthy of that award, bro. Love you. And uh, can't think of anyone more deserving uh, than you in the way you've invested. And I, people could stand up all across our services in the link and the main and uh, the investment of you and your family, Tara, uh, into even our own children, I would say they're, they're better because of it. And by the way, if you're married and you talk about your children, make sure you don't say my children because they weren't virgin born. Uh, there was someone else there. Uh, refer to them as our children. Had a guy recently tell me that. And I said, man, you're, you're spot on about that one, bud. But our children are better children because of your investment. And uh, we're, we're, we, we are blessed to have Pastor John on staff with us here. Wouldn't you agree with that today? As we wrap up our series of messages, uh, it, it's like Jesus saved the best for last uh, in his miracles. The seven signposts that all the people that day, in our day, can point and say, he's the Messiah, he's the prophet, he's the son of God, he's the one that can save the sense of our world, and he saved his best for last, and, and John records it in these seven miracles, and I've been encouraged as I've been walking through, and my faith has been challenged, and, uh, and my prayer is that yours has been too, that somehow you walk away today with whatever you brought in, and you know what that is, you know what you were up last night uh, being concerned over, and hopefully you weren't fretting and worrying because that's sin. Uh, God doesn't want us to fret and worry. Uh, but whatever that thing is that, that, that kept you awake, that you'll walk away today, this morning, and say, wow, I got hope because of Jesus Christ. And, and I'll say it this way, it's not over till it's over. One of my favorite things to do is to read um, biographies or autobiographies of, of what I would call people of God that have served. I love reading them about missionaries and people who have served in, in hard places. And here's an example of it's not over until God says it's over. Um, I, I recently read it, and, and I'll read it to you, but it's a testimony about Dr. Bob Bagley. He's a missionary, was a missionary to Africa. His tribal church was literally meeting under a tree, the story says. And one day, the local witch doctor cursed the tree, and all the leaves withered. Now, this is where the church met. They didn't have a building because the church is the people. And so they would gather under this tree because it's hot in Africa. And so that was their place to worship, to be taught. And, and one day, the local witch doctor didn't want him to meet. So he said, I'm going to curse this tree, cast a spell on this tree. And it withered up the leaves on the tree. They lost their shade, the story tells us. They also lost their status because in, in the minds of the people there that were trying to figure out whose God is bigger, their God, the witch doctor's little G, in their minds was bigger than the God, than the people that were worshiping under this tree. And the story goes on to say that this curse overshadowed them. So Dr. Bagley decided to call a public prayer meeting. He laid his hands on the tree and prayed that God would resurrect it. So picture this missionary walking over to this tree, laying his hands on this tree, withered, no leaves, and praying over this tree that God would resurrect this tree. And I love his prayer. This was his prayer that that was recorded. He said this, it's not my name that's at stake. He knew that he couldn't establish God's reputation without risking his own. The rest of the story, and you can read it if you want, just do a search on Dr. Bob Bagley. Not only did God 
resurrect the tree, it became the only tree of its type in the whole place that yielded fruit twice a year. Our God can do things that we can't do on our own. And the reality is this. It's not over, even this tree, until God says it's over. It's not over, that report that you got from work that says your job has been terminated. It's not over, that relationship. It's, it's not over, that financial situation. It's not over, that relationship with your son or dog. It's not over, that they're running away from God. It's not over until God says it's over. And today, you will see it up close. In fact, If you're not challenged by this or affirmed by this, then check your heartbeat right now. You don't have one. Because this passage should pour incredible courage into your situation today. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand today. But turn to John chapter 11. And we're going to read the beginning of this. And then we'll watch the rest of it and study the rest of it. But stand with me and you can follow along and just listen or read with me. John chapter 11. And we're going to read the first 16 verses of this true account. Follow along or read with me or just listen, but stand together as we read God's word. Let's read John chapter 11 verses 1 to 16. Ready, read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. You may have a seat. Credible story of Lazarus, who Jesus wasn't with him. Martha and Mary, his sister, goes to Jesus and wants Jesus to go and visit with the brother who was sick and is now dead. Jesus gives us some incredible phrases that we're going to tear open. But before we dig open and try to understand this passage, let me just begin by saying this in regards to your situation and Lazarus' situation. Faith inserts a comma even at the end of a death sentence. Faith says, 
I'm not going to put a period there and say it's over. Even if it's a report that I don't like, even if it's a a termination, even if it doesn't appear to have changed for years, I will not put a period where faith can put a comma that God can do more than what I'm capable of doing on my own. Now look at this account again. Look at verse four. It says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in what? What does he say? Death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now flash down and go to verse 16 or verse 15, 14. It says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is what? Dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This sickness will not end in death. And I want to say, wait a minute, Jesus, it already did. What do you mean this sickness will not end in death? I mean, when you first see that first glance, it's as if Jesus doesn't know that Lazarus is dead. But then he follows up in verse 16. He says, he is dead. Jesus is inserting a comma where there should be a period. Jesus is telling them that that this sickness will not end in death, where Jesus inserts a yeah, but comma, most people put a period. Here's what it means. That termination notice, you got it work. It will not end that way if Jesus chooses to end it that way. For some, it might be a doctor's report. It's Jesus, and he would say, yeah, there should be a period, but I'm putting a comma. The window of opportunity might have seemed to pass you by, but with Jesus, it's often, yeah, comma, but. Sometimes Jesus inserts a four-day comma instead of a period. And he might be doing that for you. So here's what that means. You might be looking at this situation and saying, it's been six months, it's been four months, it's been three months, it's been a year, and it appears like it's dead. Don't put a period where Jesus could insert a comma and say, yes, but I'm not finished. It's not over until God says it's over. That happens all the time. And so our faith must continue to believe as long as the Spirit is encouraging us to do so. Let me give you a primary example that happened this week in my personal life. About a year ago, through a Fight Club chapter, we were vacationing in Florida, my family and I, and praying about the ministry of Fight Club. And as I was chatting with my wife about this, we were praying that God would give Fight Club a national platform, not for us, so that churches and men, I have a passion to see men come alive, not just at Grace Community, but around the world. And I personally believe that this is a great tool to do so. And so we were praying that God would give us a platform, a national platform, so that many churches and leaders could see potentially this tool and use it. So we were praying, and Ann said, you know what, Jim, wouldn't it be something if God could, in some way or fashion, allow Focus on the Family to hear about Fight Club? I said, honey, that's a great idea, as we were thinking about places, platforms. And so we decided that As a result of that, feeling inspired by God, we would encourage our men in that chapter to write a letter or email a letter to focus on the family saying how Fight Club had impacted their lives, their marriages, their their workplaces. So imagine on the receiving end, you begin to get about 350 letters from men, all in the state mostly of Indiana. 
They all went to focus on the family. Men began receiving back replies. We all received back replies. I received a reply back from Jim Daly. I'll focus on the family. Along the lines, he said, it's obvious that we have received letters from your men this past week. Now, the reason we did that wasn't that we would get glory. We had a heart's desire to show, focus on the family, that Fight Club can potentially make a difference in men's lives. And so I was connected with a researcher from Focus on the Family. And so we began to correspond, and he began to ask me questions, and I answered questions. And so this conversation began, I thought, maybe God's opening a door there. We actually even sent them a kit so that they could peruse and take a look at our kit. About a week or two weeks went by, and I heard nothing back. Three weeks went by, and so finally I just sent an email and said, hey, have you, did you receive our kit? His reply was, yes, I received it. Thank you. Now, that's a good way to say I'm not interested. And so I was perfectly okay with that at the moment because we had prayed about it. I don't want to push my way. I don't want to be a, a bulldozer where God doesn't want to be a bulldozer. And so in some ways, it appeared that the dream for that to happen was dead. But where we want to put a period, God often puts a comma. Let me tell you why I say that. This week... I received a text from our son, Josh, at the beginning of this week. The timeliness of this, I love how God does so. When a message is titled, it's not over until God says it's over. We basically had begun began to pray. And I want to let you know that I have still haven't given up on that dream. In fact, I have a list of dreams and goals, kind of the things that I pray over for our family, for me personally, for our church. And amongst these dreams that hang in my office is this one. This dream says this. Get a spot on Family Talk or Focus on the Family with James Dobson, and in this case, it'd be Jim Daly, to talk about Fight Club. I haven't given up on that dream. Believe that God hadn't closed the door. This week, I received a text from our older son, Josh. It said, Dad, there was a girl that I went to Grace College with. She's trying to get a hold of you. She works at Focus on the Family. And she wants to know about Fight Club. So I received this email this week from Ashley. Pastor Jim Brown, I'm not sure if you remember me or not, but I went to Grace with your son Josh and some really good friends, Katie and Jordan Wodeski. Josh actually saved my life once when I broke down on the highway in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. He went out of his way to pick me up and another girl and take us home. You raised him right. Then we raised him right. But she said this, I wanted to reach out because focus on the family is in the process of doing research for a possible men's ministry. And it made me think of fight club ministry that you started. I wanted to introduce you to Glenn Stanton, who is heading up our research on the importance of strong male leadership in families. We would love to hear more about fight club. I want to say you already did and how you are reaching men and their subsequent families through the ministry. I'm looking forward to seeing how we can partner with you and strengthen more families by strengthening their leaders. Thanks for the great work you do. Ashley Maslin, publicist, media relations, focus on the family. So this week, I sent her a reply back, him a reply back, and I actually attached a podcast that I had done in this past year with Dr. Joe Martin with Real Men Connect. It's the largest podcast for men's ministry in America. 
And I had talked about the four components of Fight Club. And then just two weeks, three weeks ago, I recorded another podcast. They had asked me to do a podcast talking about how to create a church that attracts men. We're praying that God uses that. All that to say this, where we want to put a period, don't put a period, because God can do more than what we ever thought he could. Instead of putting a period, put a comma until God says it's over. Lazarus, family, sisters, hear Jesus say he's dead. The disciples hear Jesus say he's dead. And yet Jesus is about to put a period and says, he's not dead, as you understand dead. Death hasn't overtake him. I'm not finished with this. Something often gets lost in this story. And the reason why Jesus works on our behalf is this. Look at verse 5 of John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 4 says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus, what Martha and her sister and Lazarus, what does it say? Sometimes you just need to hear that, don't you? And in the midst of this story, the reason Jesus wants to reach out, not only to point people to him as the Messiah, is because he loves us. And sometimes in the midst of what you're walking through, it might seem like Jesus doesn't hear you. Like the, your, your, your prayer request is bouncing off the, the Milky Way and it's going from star to star. But let me just say this, Jesus loves you and I would say, this I know. And the reality is he loves you more than anyone else could love you. He loves your children more than you can love you. He loves your mom and dad more than you can love them. He loves your brother and sister more than you can love them. When Jesus loves you and he's your savior, don't put a period where a comma should be inserted because Jesus can do far more than you could ever do on your own. Look at verse six says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. <laughs> then it says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now don't overlook that because the, the disciples didn't. Look what they say in verse eight. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to what you, what's it say? Stone you. And yet you are going back? See, here's what I know. Jesus had just left Judea. Last week, we saw him heal a blind man. And just prior to that, he had just left Judea. And why did he leave? Because they wanted to stone him. And the reason he got away is because he left. And now Jesus sees Lazarus, whom he loves. He says, I'm willing to go back to Judea with people who are holding stones ready to kill me. Let me just give this truth in the midst of it. Sometimes the will of God could cause you to lose your life. He can't go back to Judea because that is where he recently was almost stoned. Sometimes God asks us to walk where others tread lightly. Sometimes the will of God is dangerous. The will of God is not an insurance plan, but a daring plan. And Jesus himself is ready to risk his life to save Lazarus. He loves us so much. And even in this case, he was willing to die of a stoning 
so that he could show these people that he was capable of resurrecting people back to life. They continue, and they seem to be puzzled by it. Yet he says this in verse 14. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there. That you may believe, let us go to him. So look at Thomas. By the way, Thomas often gets a bad rap, and some of us only know Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, and we've attached that name to him. We need to pull that prefix. It's like we look at someone in high school. I remember they were high school. They were this kind of person, and they carry that tag when they're in their 50s, and they're on the front lines for Jesus, and you see him, and the only thing you can remember is one moment or three years or four years or four decisions in their life. They have matured. Now, doubting Thomas, we know him because he wanted to see the, the holes in Jesus' hand. But look at his faith here. Then Thomas, verse 16, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may what with him. He was willing to die. And by the way, Thomas did die. After Jesus ascended into heaven, tradition tells us, that he was speared to death by four soldiers. Why? Because he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a second. Thomas is ready to go back. Jesus is going back. Why didn't Jesus just heal him right there? Why would he send people back to a dangerous place? He could have healed him from a distance. Jesus doesn't need proximity of space to heal someone. He could speak and his word would travel. Why didn't he just heal him instead of letting him die? Because he had already healed hundreds of people. And they already had witnessed his healing power. But Jesus wanted them to recognize his resurrection power. And this miracle gives him a chance to show them that even though something's dead, I can bring it back to life. That's what Jesus is revealing in this miracle. So let me just say this today. This was a four-day holding pattern for, for these people. Four days he had been dead. So if you feel like you're in a holding pattern, it may be because God is about to do something more miraculous than you have previously experienced before. Don't put a period where a comma should be inserted. Plus, I really believe as I look at this, it was setting the stage for his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because he would be thrown into a tomb, and Lazarus was in a tomb. We knew from the Old Testament that this person, this Messiah, was coming, and Jesus, I believe, was setting them up to say, there will be a day, you've heard, death, burial, and resurrection, that even though I'm in the tomb, I want you to know that I will come out of the grave the same way I'm raising Lazarus from the grave too. You see, when you and I read this, or you get a report that seems unbearable, you and I have a choice to make. Whose report will we choose to believe? Faith inserts a comma where most want to put a period. Jesus didn't just die to make bad people good, but to bring dead people and dead things and dead voices and dead reports back to life. He has resurrection power. You see, here's what I know to be true. When you give God a chance, he will give you a second chance. 
Look at verse 17 through 20 of this account. When you give God a chance, he will give you a second chance. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Just pause and just think about death for a second. Have you ever witnessed something that's been dead for four days? How about an animal? Have you ever seen roadkill, a raccoon? Have you ever seen a groundhog? Have you ever seen a squirrel? Have you ever seen something, an animal that's been dead for four days? They stink. There is an incredible odor. And you know that even though that possum can play dead, he's not getting back up and running across the road. He's been dead for four days. Lazarus has been dead for four days. But Martha shows her faith. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She follows up. She believed that Jesus could have healed the sickness. But Jesus said he's glad that he wasn't there because he wanted to reveal the power and glory that resided in him. Verse 22. But I know that, what are the next two words? Even what? Okay, look again, verse 22. But I know that, what? What are the next two words? Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Those two words. Even though, the report says this, even though, God, even now, I know if I ask you and put it in your hands and take it out of my hands, that you can bring life to dead things. I love that picture here. She still believes, and so should we. She was speaking out of faith and not fear. She believed before she could see, and this is crazy, nutty, weird kind of faith. But we live in a world, and when we celebrate resurrection power, we celebrate it once a year at Easter. We go all out and say, Jesus brings dead things back to life. Jesus came out of the grave. But the rest of the year, for way too many Christians, we live as if Jesus is still nailed to the cross. And yet the Bible that I read and you read says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we, through Jesus living in us, should never give up unless he closes the door. Because resurrection power resides in Christ. And Martha was willing to look stupid and knew that if I could ask, even though my brother's been dead, Jesus, even now, if you speak, he can walk again. You know, have you ever met people who have that kind of faith? Now, be very honest sometimes. How many of you look at them and say, they're really weird, aren't they? They're nuts. They're crazy. Like, they're kind of spooky in their walk with God. Why? The reality is, no, she just believed that Jesus could do far more than she could do on her own. And she believed the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lived in her. And we should, too. Do you believe that, though? Here's what I've noticed about Christians in 55 years. We hope things will get better. We have this genuine hope. And you'll even say, I have hope in Christ. I believe in God. And, and the reality is this, and, and, and about your situation. 
And we'll even, we'll, we'll have a, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll be concerned about it. Yet we wonder why nothing has changed. The reason is just because it's a thought and not a prayer. In fact, you could have a list just like I do and, and dreams. And if I never prayed about them, if I just hung them on the wall and said, this would be nice. And maybe your situation, maybe you were up last night thinking about your situation and, and you have a concern for it. And you woke up today thinking about it. And even now during this message, you're thinking about it and you're wishing and you're hoping. Listen, a wish, a hope, and a concern doesn't compare and lacks power until it becomes an ask or a prayer to our God. It goes from our minds and our wishes until the hands of the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend being concerned about something? Oh, I hope this works out. Oh, I hope we get married. Oh, I hope this dream comes true. I wish that would happen. How many of you wake up and you're still concerned about your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad or your husband? How many of you are still concerned about that sickness and that report? And you wake up and you're concerned and you're thinking about it. And you spent hours, listen, thinking isn't praying. It's got to go from a thought to a prayer to a request to God. And that's what Martha did. She did more than just think about it and be concerned about it. She was daring and willing to ask Jesus. Why why does the Bible say pray without ceasing? Why? It doesn't say wish without ceasing. It doesn't say hope without ceasing. It doesn't say be concerned without ceasing. It says pray without ceasing because we hand off this concern to the all-powerful, omnipresent God who has resurrection power. If you and I spend as much time praying as we do being concerned and wishing and hoping, we would begin to see resurrection power in our lives. You see, if you feel like your dream is dead, maybe God has you right where he wants you. And all you got to do is not just think about it and believe, but ask. Because dead dreams are fertile soil for miracles. They are. It takes guts to ask Jesus to raise your brother back to life. No one had ever asked Jesus that. Even the two prayer instances where people were raised from the dead, Jesus did it. No one As best as we know, many other miracles are recorded. They didn't record anymore, but John says there's many other things too numerous to put in the book, but no one dared to ask Jesus to raise their brother back to life. She looked stupid, crazy nuts for doing that, but she was willing to do it. Why? Because she believed. Maybe we have lost our belief that Jesus can do anything, and we spend the majority of our prayers in this form. Let me break it up. For lack of better terms, let me give you two kinds of faith that you and I operate from. The first one is preventive faith, and the second one is resurrection faith. My hope is that you will move and I will shift from preventive faith only to resurrection faith. Most of the time, you and I pray this way. Here's how we go to God, preventive faith. We say things like this. God Please keep this from happening to my son and my daughter, my mom and my dad, my brother, sister, my coach, my team. 
preventive faith. God, protect. God, care. Or preventive faith. God, give us safety as we travel. Lord, give us traveling mercies. Whatever that means. We pray that. Preventive faith. Like we can pray that all the time. Another way. God, place a hedge of protection around our kids. And every time my parents would pray that, I just picture these hedges around us. This green hedge around us. But we're okay with praying preventive faith. God, don't allow this. Or, God, don't let them do anything that will scar them for life. And that's kind of been our parental reasoning and our our thinking. Like, we'll allow you to make this decision and and learn from your mistake, but we're asking you not to do this. And so we would pray, God, let our children not do anything that will scar them. Preventive faith. Like, it's easy to ask God for that. But there's this whole other kind of faith that Martha exerted here. And I would call it resurrection faith. It is a faith that refuses to put periods at the ends of disappointments. Even when the application is denied. I believe even though you told me it's over. My God is a God of resurrection. Or even when the adoption fails, I'm going to continue to try because God hasn't shut the door completely. I believe even though they denied the application that my God is a God of resurrection power. Or, even when the pregnancy test comes back negative, I believe that God can recreate the womb and we can have a child. I'm going to pray until he directs us differently. Or, even when you've been cut from the team, and it seems like you'll never play that sport, be involved on that team again. Listen to me. As long as God continues to prod and impress and tell you, don't ever stop believing that he can put you on a team. Even when the doctor's report is hopeless at best, even when the doctor shakes his head and says, there is nothing more we can do. Don't dare stop and don't ever stop consulting the great physician. He has resurrection power. Let me ask you, how do you pray over your kids? Protect them, God. Put the bubble around them. Or do you pray, send them out and let them go? May they be bold as a lion. And may they go to the front lines and declare your truth and believe that greater is he that's in me than anything that's in this world. You see, when we begin to shift our faith from preventive faith to resurrection faith, we kind of look weird and stupid. And you might even get talked about. Like, yeah, they're the weird, weird Christians. They believe that Jesus has resurrection power. And we keep telling them that marriage is dead. They don't believe. Man, they're stupid, aren't they? Let me give you an example of resurrection power. Many of you know Clayton King. He's a, a, the pastor now on staff at New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. And he speaks around our country. In fact, he'll be at Momentum. And many of you our youth have been part of Momentum. He'll speak this week at Momentum Youth Conference that Ed and CE National oversee. In fact, I'll speak there this week too. And I've actually heard him share this story in person. But I read it again this week. And this is resurrection kind of power. And maybe it will challenge you. Let me share a true story about Clayton King. When he was 25 years old, evangelist Clayton King led a 50-mile backpacking trip into the Himalaya Mountains 
to share the gospel with an unreached people group in the Zanskar Valley. Along with the physical challenge of making the mountainous hike, the risk of being kidnapped or killed was very real. Just a few months before their trip, a group of European missionaries was executed by Islamic militants for attempting to smuggle 11 Bibles across the border. Clayton and his friends had 1,100 Bibles in their backpacks. In preparation for their missionary journey, the team did water-only fasts, trained with weighted backpacks, and read as much as they could about Tibetan Buddhism. One of the team members was a doctor. So they manufactured a mobile medical clinic to take with them. At last, but not least, they prayed for miracles because they knew they'd need them, lots of them. The five-person team flew to Leh, one of the highest airports in the world. After acclimating to the 11,000-foot elevation, they traveled along the Kazmari border with Pakistan toward the remote village of Zangla. On the way there, one divine appointment set the tone for the rest of the trip. In the middle of nowhere, they came across a hitchhiker who was standing by the side of the road. For all they knew, this man could be a terrorist. So the team protested. When their native-born driver pulled over to pick him up, Clayton objected so vehemently that the hitchhiker said in his broken English, you are a very loud-talking boy. And if you know Clayton, you would probably say that too. Then he revealed why the driver stopped. My name is Raja Norbu. I am the king of the Zankar Valley. I live in a small village called Zangla. It is very far from here and difficult to reach. As provincial governor, I must attend meetings in the capital of Delhi. I was on my way there when my vehicle broke down. Your driver recognized me as King Norbu. What are the odds? I don't know about you, but I've met exactly zero kings, the storyteller says. And Clayton didn't just meet a king. He met the king of the very village his team was trying to reach. Sometimes God shows up, sometimes God shows off. After revealing who he was, the king of Zangla asked Clayton's name. When he replied, Clayton, king. King Norbu took him literally. When he asked why an American king would visit his village, Clayton didn't pull any punches. He told the king that they wanted to set up a medical clinic and give his people copies of their holy book, the Bible. King Norbu was so pleased that he gave Clayton a handwritten letter that was not only ensured safe passage and a warm reception in Zangla, but also named Clayton the interim king while he was away. So when the team arrived in Zangla, they were treated like, you guessed it, kings. 
The second day in the village, the queen asked Clayton if he knew how to deliver a baby. Clayton had no clue. But the medical doctor on their team certainly did. She examined the mother of her twin babies, quickly assessing the situation. It was a high-risk pregnancy to begin with. But to complicate matters, the baby was breech. If you don't know what that means, it means butt first. And in the doctors, by the way, that's how I entered the world. Another story. And in the doctor's profession, professional opinion, the baby had already died in the uterus. Clayton isn't sure what overcame him in that moment, but he asked his interpreter to translate a message. It wasn't until after the words were already out of his mouth that he realized the potential ramifications. With the boldness of an Old Testament prophet, Clayton said this, we have come from America as the people of God. Our God is Jesus Christ, who was killed for our sins and then raised from the dead. He's powerful and loving, and he will show you his power. This mother will live tonight, and these babies will live tonight. God has sent us to you for this purpose. If they die, then you can do with us anything you wish. Woo! In order to deliver the baby who was in a breech position, the doctor had to break his hip. While that enabled the baby to be born, he was in fact still born. There was no pulse, no heartbeat, and no breath. They didn't know how long the baby had been dead. But Clayton did the only thing he knew how to do. He cried out to God like his life depended on it. And there was a good chance that his life did depend on it. The next few minutes proved to be the most poignant moments of Clayton's life. After what felt like four days, God raised the dead right in front of their eyes. The, this stillborn baby let out a scream that was music to their ears. In cultures that are superstitious or animistic, God will often reveal himself with what missiologists call a show of power. The showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal is a great example. It was like a prophetic cage fight with no holds barred. There was even some smack talk, and God just proved his superior power to Baal worshipers. And he proved his power to a village of Buddhists by raising a baby from the dead. Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. And for the record, who in their right mind would even talk to dead people? And for the record, you and I go to graveyards to say goodbye, not good to see you again. Look at this account. Look what happens Chapter 11, look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the what? What's the word? Stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, what? What's he say? Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Maybe the reason we don't experience more miracles is because we don't put ourselves in situation that necessitates them. One man said this, and I I love this response, and it's so challenging. We comfort the grieving instead of calling dead things out of the grave. But if we took a few more risks and looked stupid, we might see a few more miracles. And for the record, it's a good thing when Jesus called Lazarus by name, because if he just didn't call his name, every dead person would have come out of the graves that morning. Jesus also didn't remove the stone. Now, just pause. Why is this significant? Here's why I believe it's significant. Jesus could have moved the stone. He could have went, and the stone rolled away. There's always an action or instructions of obedience of faith steps for us. In all these miracles that we looked at, Jesus just didn't stand back and let the people stand back. There was a step of obedience. Now think about this for a second. Lazarus didn't walk out of the grave until the stone was removed. In fact, he didn't ask him to come out of the grave until the stone was moved. And the text says that the people Move the stone. Why? Because they believed by faith that it was possible. Now, let me say something. They looked really stupid in a graveyard. Imagine the people because Jesus was there. Why are you removing a stone? That man has been dead for four days. Look at them. They think dead people are going to walk out of the grave. It'd be like you and I driving to the grave site right over on Berkey Avenue, going behind First Brethren Church in a backhoe, driving in and began digging. And someone's saying, are you buried? No, someone's going to come out of the grave today. (laughs) Sometimes you got to look really stupid and crazy and trust in a God who has resurrection power. And so what's Jesus do? He comes walking out. Let me give you a little tradition about burials, which is even more fascinating to me. When someone would die during this time, their feet were bound at their ankles and their arms tied to their body with linen strips. So someone would wrap them. They'd be like this and they would wrap them with linen strips. And tradition tells us this. Then the body would have been wrapped with about a hundred pounds of grave clothes. That's a lot to carry. Some scholars believe that his head, Lazarus' head and heads of this day would have been wrapped with so many linens, it would measure a foot wide. He would have looked like a mummy. So in my mind, two miracles took place this day. 
One, Lazarus came back to life. Number two, he was able to walk fully wrapped in linen. How'd he do it? Because what Jesus say to him? Take those grave clothes off of him. Can you imagine? He couldn't see anything, and all of a sudden he's lying there, and Jesus speaks with resurrection power, and then they remove the grave clothes. You see, if you don't take the risk, you could miss the miracle. Someone has to make the ask in order for Jesus to bring life to a dead dream. One little yes from Jesus can change your life. One little yes can change your eternity. It must move from a concern to a thought and a hope and a wish to an ask with resurrection faith. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan smirked. But Jesus got the last laugh, and he always does. If you give him a chance, he can bring dead dreams back to life. It's not over until God says it's over. Do you agree? Take a look at your situation. Are you losing sleep and worrying and thinking, and all you're doing is thinking and being concerned? Shift that time to asking and praying and throwing into the hands of the resurrection God and have resurrection kind of faith. And when you hand it off, listen to me, there could potentially be something happen in your life that's never happened before. Oh God, help us today. Lord, some of us have been Christians for 50 years Some of us have been Christians for 30, 20, 10, 5 years. And we celebrate the resurrection one time of year. And we live as if Jesus is still nailed to the cross. God, we know that you can bring dead dreams back to life. And that you can place a comma where we want to put a period. Give us resurrection faith. In Jesus' name, amen.